James chapter 2, we're going to make it through 13 verses uh, just in our, our, our journey today. But before we get there, let me ask you a question just real quick. Um, what is the best seat that you've ever had? What's the best seat that you've ever had? Now, a lot of you right now, you're like, not this seat I'm sitting in, <laughs> this hard back thing. Hey, 2020 vision, it's coming, all right? Once we get into a new facility, whatever, uh, we're going to have nice padded seats with recliners and uh, vibrating back adjusters or something like that. That's a lie. That's not true. Um, but nonetheless, what's the best seat you've ever had? For me, it's, 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 it's pretty easy. I had a seat um, at a Garth Brooks concert. And back in the day when Garth Brooks was the stuff, and I know he's still the stuff, I get it, I understand. Uh, back when he was the real stuff, I had the checkered uniform, uh, had, you know, it was like blue, red, white, and you know, whatever it was. Had the cowboy hat, had all my, my gear on. And this was before online was the deal where you, you know, type it in real fast and see if you can get tickets. This is when you called it up and um, we got in. And so me and Julie Beth were still dating at the time. We got in, they answered the phone, and they were like, hey, uh, what seats do you want? And I'm like, well, give me the best ones. And they're like, okay, well, that'll cost you a heart, liver, lung, and your firstborn child. And I was like, well, maybe not the best seats. <laughs> maybe just in the arena will be good. And, uh, and, and so I, we got the seats, and, and you know, we're way upper deck, somewhere way back in the back. And um, I'm working at UPS, and so I'm headed in, and I'm driving there, and Julie Beth gives me a call. Obviously, still back in the day, not on one of these little smartphones, but on that giganto phone. You know what I'm talking about? That when it turns on and rings, your legs start shaking, you know. Uh, so I answer it. I'm like, hey, um, what's going on? She says, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. And, and Jill was there. And I was like, she said, just wait till you get here. So I get there. And I walk in, got my cowboy hat on, got my boots on. You know, this was before my days where, you know, I started wearing the gold chains and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this was back when I thought country was cool, and then the Lord enlightened me later and realized it wasn't. But it, sorry, sorry, you country folk. But anyway, uh, so, so I go, I get there, I walk in, and Julie Beth and Jill, and I think somebody else, I can't remember who else, somebody else was there, um, met me. And they were like, hey, we've got awesome news. And I was like, okay, great, what is it, whatever. And she said, we got front row seats. And sure enough, they were walking around the arena, and a guy walks up to them and says, do you want front row tickets? And so they were like, yeah, we'll do anything. You know how radio stations do, you know, eat a can of dog food, and we'll give you upgrades or whatever. And they said, what do we have to do? And the guy said, here's what I want you to do. Cheer for me. I'm the bass player. And if you didn't like Garth Brooks already, hey, hey, this dude walks around and gives out free tickets. And so the bass player had given them free tickets. So sure enough, VIP section, we come to the front. He's doing his thing. He's throwing out guitar picks. I'm trying to kill people to get a guitar pick. Uh, he's sweating. And I'm just like, just one drop of sweat. You know, uh, he, th This is no joke. He reaches out with his right hand. Awkward me, didn't know what to do, just gave him my left hand. So... <laughs> We're right on left, don't matter, still Garth Brooks' hand, shook his hand with my left hand. So if you have ever shaken my left hand, you have shaken Garth Brooks' hand. <laughs> and so, shake his hand, and I tried to give him my cowboy hat. No joke. I was like, just take it. And he laughed at me. <laughs> it's like, I don't want your Walmart cowboy hat. You know, he laughed at me, so I put it back on my head, did my thing, all this kind of stuff. That was the best seat I've ever gotten. It was phenomenal. I've had bad seats, too. We went to the Atlanta Falcons game last year, literally sat on the top row, way up there. 
I think Julio Jones was down there, may or may not have been. I'm not sure, way up there. But the best seat was this. It was something I could never afford. It's, it's, I could have never purchased that. It was something that had to be given to me. And as we dive into this text today, what James is going to say is, just like the best seat ever to come, which is an eternity, which is going to be so much better than a Garth Brooks concert. For the believer, the best seat is yet to come, and you cannot pay for it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get yourself in that seat. It has to be bought and paid for by Christ and Christ alone. You can't work your way. You can't mission your trip your way. You can't give your way. You can't sing your way. Even Brent with his golden pops can't sing his way in. You, you can't do it. You, you can't memorize enough verses. You can't vacation Bible school it enough. You can't, well, there's nothing you can do. It has to be bought and paid for by Christ. And so in light of that, the one who realizes that the best seat yet to come is paid for by Christ, if that's the case, therefore, people's access into your life shouldn't be based upon what they can give or not give you. And specifically, James is going to hammer down on the church. So this is applicable to our own lives personally, but he's going to get in the church and say, whoa, 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 whoa. It seems to me that there's some seats in your church that only certain people can get into. If they can earn it, if they can pay for it, if they can get in, there's only a certain segment that they can get in certain ones, and then you're leaving other people going, you can't have that seat. And so no partiality is going to be this theme. And so in other words, seats into your life and seats into our church, James is going to say, can never function like Ticketmaster. Who can call first? Who can pay the most? Who can this? Who can that? Who can the other one? Church can't look like this in practical terms. It can't be if you want to be in the spit section here, where things fly out of my mouth sometimes that are not just words, just spit. If you want to be in the spit section, we can't be like, well, that's 20 bucks. It's 20 bucks to sit there. Um, or something like this, if, if you want to be in the Brit section to where you're really getting the, the golden pipes penetrating the ears, it's 50 bucks. Can't be like that. Can't be like this. Well, <laughs> you don't want the spit section, you don't want Brit section. You want to be the first exit section, right? As soon as we're done, gone, pew, first one to the car, that's going to cost you 75 bucks. It can't be that way. It can't be, well, I'd like to take communion today. Well, that's $100. You want the double package? Communion and baptism today will cost you, we'll give you a discount of $150. It can't be that way. If you want cleanup duty afterwards, that's free. <laughs> that's free 99. Just because you're here, we're going to give you that gift today. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. I know that, that may sound a little absurd. It sounds absurd to us to go, whoa, we would never allow somebody access or not access based on what they can give or not give. And James goes, you better be careful. It might just slip in and you not realize it. It may not be monetary, but it may be something else that you require of people before they can gain access. It's what he's getting into. Y'all ready to dive into the text? <laughs> Bo's the only one. <laughs> Everybody else is like, man, I really liked James chapter 1 where he kept telling us about my trials and where he was at, but this whole do this, don't do that thing, sure, I'm not digging that. Well, here we go. We're diving into it, okay? Let's look at this. 
So he says, my brothers, show no partiality. In other words, show no favoritism. Favoritism has no place. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So in other words, show no favoritism because while we can't tarnish Christ's glory, we certainly can be inconsistent with his glory. Primarily, if we're showing favoritism, we're inconsistent with that glory that we claim to be allegiant to. So he says this, unbelievers and believers, take note. For if a man wearing a gold ring, there we go, this dude's been to Zales before church. <laughs> he's gone, to, I don't know if Zales is a thing anymore, it was back in the day. Not only that, he's been to Joseph A. Bank, okay? Uh, for if a, I know Joseph A. Bank is still in business, not because I, anyway, okay. Um, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, he's looking fly, we'll leave it at that. If he comes into your assembly, so if this man wearing the gold ring and, and fine clothes walks into NES, Jim. Um, and then a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So what James has done is he said this guy comes in and another guy comes in. And bottom line, he's saying you can tell the difference by their bank accounts. They're obvious. Okay? One's flashy, one's not flashy. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and he says, hey, you sit here in a good place. So in other words... We have a VIP section for you. There's a buffet afterwards, rich man. Um, I experienced this one time, one time. Uh, Chuck Tucker, he goes to uh, Safe Haven on the south side. He goes down to the Big Sandy Campus uh, location. And uh, he got me one time floor seats to the Alabama game. And when I say floor seats, I'm talking front row on the you could feel the ball dribbling you could hear them cussing each other out that's all another thing you could feel the ball and afterwards there was this buffet and and I I feel like I mean I'm like huh, I'm walking in the steps and I walk into this room and blah 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 and it, they everybody looked at me you know why because I was the poor man in shabby clothes <laughs> they're like what is this dude doing up here so this is the feel we get he says if this guy comes in that has this Gold ring, fine clothing, and you say to him, VIP section, buffet afterwards, carte blanche, lay the floor out for him. While you say to the poor man, now, you stand over here and sit down at my feet. Rich man comes in, love you, glad you're here. Poor man comes in and says, hey, we got a closet <laughs> back there in the back. Or maybe you can just feel the outer perimeter. Or, better yet, according to this, which I'm not sure I didn't really study the customs, you be my ottoman. You become my footstool. That's what it, you, you become the place for my feet. And back in the day, they didn't, have, they didn't walk around with whatever shoes you got on right now. Whatever you have on now is better than what they had. So they walked where the animals walked, so feet were nasty. All right. So he says to the poor man, you sit over there, you... Sit down at my feet, have you not made a distinction? There's this partiality, this favoritism. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So here's the kicker. He says, church, individuals that compose the church and church at large, when we show favoritism, it's not just our action that's on display, it's our what? It's our heart. 
When we show favoritism, it's deeper. When we show favoritism, it's evil intentions. There's, there's some intention, even if we don't acknowledge it, there's some intention in our favoritism that we're trying to gain is what he says. And so verse 5, so listen, my beloved brothers. So he's appealing to us as brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So he says, pay attention to your favoritism because the poor man is rich. He just hadn't got his inheritance check yet. It's coming. And and God doesn't look on the earthly plane and go, rich, poor, based on where we live, what we do, this, that, the other. He looks and goes, rich, if you're in Christ. That's what he says. The gospel levels the playing field. And so he says, listen, my brothers, has God not chose who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? And so if you're a rich person in this room and go, whoa, why I'm out, that's not what he's saying either. It's all about the heart. He's looking at the heart. Have you set your affection on him, rich or poor? But, verse 6, you have dishonored the poor man. In other words, something really happened. He didn't say, but you will dishonor, but you might dishonor. He says, but you dishonor the poor man. So this is apparently something really going on in their church, in the synagogue as they gather. The church has slipped into this ticketmaster mode. Can you do this? Can you pay this? Can you whatever? If you can hear, if you can't hear, are not the rich ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So, what he's saying is this. Look, it's it's, it's one thing to go to the 50-yard line at Bryant-Denny Stadium and to find out the ticket on the 40th row. I'm not sure if that's a thing. 40, 40 rows up, 50-yard line. It's one thing to go, okay, here's the cost. Here's the calculated cost. Can I pay it? Can I not pay it? That's one thing. And then he says, church, we don't function like Bryant Denny. <laughs> the seats in our organization gathering and the seats in our home are paid for by Christ in full. There's no room to charge this or charge that. or You can or you, you can't based on what you can or can't do. And so even worse, what's going on in this context is you've got people colliding. Remember, so this is first generational Christians. So you do have some wealthy landowners, and then you also have some people who work the land, rich, poor, and then there still is this middle class. And so they'll come to church to worship, and then they'll hobnob with the poor laborers, and they'll say, hey, I need you, I can pay you, and if you'll work for me, then I can help pull you into this class. And then, apparently, in this context, what they're doing is either A, not paying them fair wages, or B, not paying them at all. And so imagine that, a church where you came into, uh, congratulations, rich section. Uh, Sorry, guys, poor section. Uh, Can I get an amen? Uh, And then middle class section, okay? So we got rich section, poor section, middle class section. You come together... You have hired some of these people, but you hadn't paid them fair. You have gone to work for some of these people, but they're not paying you fair, so you're mad at them. Middle class section, you're just kind of stuck in the middle, right? And now, all of a sudden, stand up and worship together. 
be fairly awkward, wouldn't it? Be fairly strange. So he says, this can't be. It can't look like that. And it'll slip in if we're not careful. And so verse 8, he goes on to say this. If you really fulfill the royal law, and this law is royal not only because it comes from true royalty, but it's also royal because this law that he's about to give, all other relationship laws are subordinate to this one law. So this one law is the law on which every other relationship law is built upon. That's what he's getting at. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, man, let's do it together. Let's say it together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. But it's so hard to pull off, isn't it? So simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you're, you're doing well, but, verse 9, he ties it back in. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Now he takes it to a whole other level. Because we love to justify away our partiality, don't we? We love to justify away our favoritism, don't we? And what James does is punches us right in the kisser and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. When you show partiality and when you show favoritism, there's nothing to justify away. It's sin. It's a transgression. You're no longer loving your neighbor as yourself. It's something deeper that he gets into here. So you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So here's the two-sided coin of that. This whole notion of partiality is something truly that only Christianity can address. Here's what I mean by that. If you're an unbeliever in this room, and you adhere to strictly evolutionary nature as king, as, as it's what it is. Maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you claim to be outright atheist, whatever it is. If, if that's you and you come into this room and I ask you the question, hey, do you stand for partiality or, or equality maybe is the better way to say it? Do you, do you stand for equality? If you're an unbeliever who just strictly is, there is no God, it's, it's just... Um, evolutionary nature, that's, that's how it all come about. And if I ask you this question, do you stand for equality and you go, yes, then my next question to you is, well, why? Equality. And you may utter something like this, well, because I think we should just all be fair. And if that's your answer, then you're a hypocrite to your own philosophy. Because your philosophy is survival of the the strongest man wins and so therefore if that's your argument you really have no grounds for equality well I just think we should all be fair well that is not what your theology says you worship survival of the fittest so you should applaud the rich man and go good job sorry poor guy sorry left section good job right section so it truly is something that only Christianity can address and the reason that only Christianity can address it is for three reasons. I'll rattle through them real quick. So if you're a believer in this room, and I pray in this room you're a believer, and I pray there is never a day you don't believe. That's our prayer, is that you embrace the gospel. Okay. But if I come to you and ask you, why do you think partiality and favoritism is wrong? Here's three things I think we can say as Christians exclusively. Number one, 
because fairness or equality is indeed a moral code written on our hearts. It's something that God above embedded in our genetic makeup. it's, It's what's in our DNA. He writes on the heart of man, don't be partial. It's something embedded. It's something written. And sin obviously taints that and we war against it. So number one, it is something. It's intrinsic part of the human coding that only a God could write on the hearts of universal men and women. Number one. Number two, I think that we should be equal because it's a direct command. <laughs> I mean, it's a direct command from God above. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this is the command from the one that we pledge allegiance to in all things. Therefore, it's sin to disobey. In other words, I'd say it something like this. We as believers give grace because we have greatly received grace. The gospel compels us to give away what we've received. And so not only is it moral code, but number two, it's the gospel code. And then number three, and I'd argue maybe more importantly or most importantly, that might be a stretch, but it's important that we treat people as equal because we are indeed equal. (laughs) We're equal. We're made in the imagio Dei, in the image of God, which means this, we all have will, intellect, spirit, and emotion. We all uh, exhibit all of the things that make up the deity, the Godhead, three in one. We, we all have that, and therefore we're equal. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And don't, that don't matter. We're equal because we are equal. And not only are we equal because we're made in the image of God, but we're Equal because in our sinfulness, we're all fallen. (laughs) So how on earth do we have right to walk out to another equal human being made in the image of God and prop ourselves up when our sinfulness knocks us all down? (laughs) Levels the playing field. And then number three, I would argue this. We're made in the image of God. We're equally sinful in the fallenness of man. And by God's grace, we are equally saved in the righteousness of Christ and not our own. So therefore, when I walk out, I go, we're equal because we're made in the image of God. We're all fallen. And the only reason any of us have hope, no matter if you're in this section, this section, this section, is blanket Jesus. That's our only hope. And So the gospel indeed levels the playing field. We're great sinners in need of an even greater savior we need a substitutionary alien righteousness not of our own and if you don't know that jesus man i pray today we talk so at safe haven we don't have a you know a come down time where you know i stand in front of the box here or whatever but listen i'm here i'm sitting right here at this seat we can hang out afterwards we can swing on the swing all day long if you want to and talk about Jesus. If you don't know, if you've never surrendered to him as Savior and Lord, man, do it today. Today. And so here's some application points out of that. As I think on this passage and what its impact is for us. And these are questions I'm asking myself. Where does partiality impact you personally? Like where does this passage hit you personally? thought about several things in my life. Do you find yourself partial or showing favoritism in skin observation? Let's don't lie. It still happens. Racial 
attention is still a reality? Is it in skin observation? Is it, well, I'm partial to people who are black like me. I'm partial to people who are white like me. I'm partial to people who are somewhere in between like me. All of you Cherokee-looking folks who love the beach and it don't burn your skin. <laughs> right? Uh, here's the thing. We often throw this out because it makes us feel good, but it's a stupid statement. Um, God's colorblind. It's, 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 we just need to call it what it is. It's a dumb statement. God is very color visual. He goes, black, love it. White, love it. Tan, love it. Yellow, love it. I made it this way and I love it. There's intrinsic value here. There's intrinsic value here. There's intrinsic value here. There's intrinsic value here in all of the skin tones because this is what I made it. We be careful. It slips into the church. Oh, Troy, I liked it when we were talking about the rich man with the ring. Let's don't hit us. It slips in. We better be careful. Our church can't be marked by that garbage. Or is this, is it partiality affect you in social snobbery is what I'm calling I don't even know if snobbery is a word, but hey, that's never stopped us before. We'll make up words left and right at say, baby. <laughs> is it social snobbery? I'm partial to those who are rich like me. Most of the church just said, nope, that ain't me. <laughs> right? I'm partial, be careful, to the folks that are poor like me. I'm partial to those who are funny like me. I'm partial to those who are smart like me. I'm partial to those who are artsy like me. I'm partial to those who are athletic like me. I'm partial to those who are educated like me. Or the flip side. I'm partial to those who are not educated but are skilled like me in working with my hands. I'm partial to those who are safe haven, listen up, especially the first three rows, hipster like me. <laughs> hipster. I'm partial to those who are hipster like me. Bonus points if you can grow a cool mustache. You've got to be careful. I'm partial to those who worship in a gym like me. Stop it, Troy. You've got to be careful. Does partiality slip in from skin observation, social snobbery, or more importantly, the sanctification scale? I am partial to those who are in the present slot of truth and grace balance like me. I'm partial to those who are receiving forgiveness for the same sins that I am receiving forgiveness for. And sitting under grace like I'm sitting under grace. But those people over there struggling with that stuff. I'm partial here. Y'all feel that man? And so in our level of spiritual maturity sometimes we can beat ourselves in the chest and end up being partial. And we don't even realize it. Over the gospel. Ray Ortland says it this way and I love it. It's fantastic. We are really good at sanctification. Mainly, everybody else's. <laughs> You've got to be careful about that. It's just says there's no grounds for partiality. And so what is, if you've identified it in your life, what's the motivation for that partiality in your life? Kill it. Is it the desire to be liked? Well, I'm partial towards this person or that person, this woman, this man, whatever, just because I want to be liked. 
This is where middle school hits all of us all over again. Can I get a raise of hands of everybody who'd love to go back to middle school? And all the church said, no. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to go back to that crazy place again. All right? Because in that crazy place, it's I want to get in the who's who. I want to be this. I want to fit here. I want to fit here, blah, blah, blah. And if we're not careful, us as 40-something-year-olds, um, maybe even 50, 60, 70, can I get an 80? Amen. Um, we follow the same stuff, don't we? Same stuff. And so partiality slips in because we want to be liked. We want to make the who's who list of Huntington Gardens or whatever it is. Maybe your workplace. Is it a desire for earthly gain? Is that what motivates you to partiality? I'm partial to this person or that person because I want to gain something. In other words, if they're in my life, then I can go to this. If they're in my life, I can be identified with this. If they're in my life, I can be invited to that. If they're in my life, I can get the business deal. If they're in my life, do you feel that? If they're in my life, it puts me in a better situation to do this, and it slips in suddenly, and before we know it, we are partial. And we're showing favoritism. Is it for comfort's sake? Oh, shut up, Troy. This one right here killed me all week long. Because, like, so, so all of them, again, I mean, I deal with all of them, okay? So that's me. But this one here, I am largely motivated by favoritism for comfort's sake. Just because sometimes I don't want to be stretched outside my comfort zone. And the gospel, if anything, calls us to be uncomfortable. It calls us to love the unlovable. If Christ loved us, the unlovable, we can love whoever we deem unlovable, which is a false deeming anyway. And so the goal of Christianity, as you'll see, is not to overcome cultural norms. The goal of Christianity is to bring what is normal equality back to what God first established. He established man equal, sin broke it. And Christianity is his means of working those pieces back together. Will it happen fully on earth? No, because we're fallen. But does that give us an excuse not to strive? No. <laughs> Beloved, it gives us a freedom to war for the righteousness of Christ and what he established. On December 1st, 1955, this passage played out in real life in Montgomery, Alabama in a very real way. Many of you guys will remember the history lesson. Some of you guys lived the reality lesson, not the history lesson. And on a bus in Montgomery, all of the whites-only seats were taken. And so the gentleman driver looked to the back, to the blacks-only seats, and said this, Lady, I need you to give up your colored-only seat and make it a whites-only seat. To which, praise God for this lady, Rosa Parks took a stand and said, Oh no, not today. <laughs> no more partiality today. 
And what a lot of us don't know is in her biography or telling of this story, what motivated her to this moment. Here's what she said. The driver looked back at me and demanded, let me have those seats. And I instantly felt God give me the strength to endure whatever would happen next. And God's peace in the moment flooded my soul and my fear melted away. All people were equal in the eyes of God and I was going to live like the free person God created me to be. You see, her, her striving for equality had nothing to do with rebellious spirit. Her striving for equality was the freedom that the gospel had already given her, and she decided to walk in that freedom. The gospel has broken down the wall. <laughs> and so in this moment, Rosa Parks hit a gospel home run, in my opinion. Verse 10 goes on to say this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So in other words, if we walk in adherence to the entire law, and James says, if you walk into adherence to the entire law but are still showing partiality and favoritism, you're breaking all of it. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Here we go, and we'll wrap it up. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Miss Parks walked in that day under the law of liberty. Verse 13 wraps it up saying this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So if your life is marked by partiality and favoritism, he's calling that into question and going, whoa, 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 you better be careful because judgment is strong against those who show no mercy. So if we're a believer and you go, whoa, I'm battling with this, number one, you're, we're we all in the same boat. <laughs> and the person in here who goes, no, I don't identify with any of that, Let's hang out afterwards and revisit the chapter and again together. Just be careful that this doesn't slip in. But where it does slip in, and good grief, he throws the gospel at us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Bottom line, those who see the Savior's net worth will realize our own moral bankruptcy and rejoice in the leveling of the playing field by the gospel. We'll rejoice in that. Maybe I should say it this way. We'll grow in that. This is a call for us not to walk down with our heads out going, golly, James just kicked me right in the teeth. It's for us to go, James, thank you for kicking me in the teeth. And now let me walk and draw a line in the sand and work on this. He's calling us into sanctification. He's calling us to labor and love more like Christ every single day. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Because Christ shows mercy despite our own external differences, we show mercy despite external differences. 
because Christ shows mercy despite our internal blemishes, we show mercy despite internal blemishes. Because Christ shows mercy despite our societal status, we show mercy despite societal status. Because Christ shows mercy despite our level of spiritual maturity, we show mercy despite spiritual maturity. Because Christ shows mercy despite our worst characteristic, we show mercy despite worst characteristics. And so the conclusion is this. Because the gospel sees these things in us and loves us beyond them, we then go see beyond them in other people and love. We show no partiality. We war against it. And so, as I wrap it up, the conclusion, the believer, here's the joy for the believer in the room, we will be able to smile triumphantly in the day of judgment. That is true, because mercy trumps and triumphs over judgment. In the day of judgment, for the believer, we won't walk before the Lord, as some of you guys may have been taught, it's wrong, it's just wrong, where we stand before the Lord and we're shaking our knees going, okay, am I getting in, am I not getting in? You know, the whole notion of Peter standing at the gate asking you why he should let you in, that ain't in the Bible, all right? Number one, Peter ain't standing there. He's bowing before the Lord. Number two, he has no right to ask you why should he let you in. He ain't got no keys, all right? <laughs> He's in the same boat as us. For the believer, we're not standing there shaking our boots. Am I going, am I in or not in? We walk in because of Christ and Christ alone. And mercy triumphs over judgment for the believer, not for the unbeliever. And as such, our future reality with Christ should impact our present reality with other people. What he's done for us in granting us mercy should impact how we mercy, verb, other people. So we're about to come to the table as the band comes back up. And the table screams at us every single Sunday, doesn't it? Every Sunday when we come to the table, it screams at us. Because if you're like me... I sit, you, <laughs> you say, Troy, I don't know about the best seat. I can tell you what's the most uncomfortable seat I've ever seen. It's blue when I'm sitting in. Um, you know, I sit in my, my little blue seat, and we sing songs, and then I, 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 like I'll look at the table and, you know, just kind of peer away from it and go, my gosh, I have no business being there. <laughs> I have no business drinking in the blood and the body of Christ and thinking on the gospel. I have, I have no business being there. But then the gospel screams back. And here's how the gospel screams back. We walk to the table going, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I am externally different than Christ. I am internally blemished unlike Christ. My spiritual maturity is not like Christ. My name, my worst characteristic? Are you kidding me, Bible? 
I got a billion of them. Name just one of them. And then the table screams back. Because of your surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior. (laughs) I declare that my merciful work trumps your judgment. So we've sang the gospel. We've heard the gospel. And now we come to the presentation of the gospel in the elements given by our Lord. Screaming at you. Drink in my righteousness. Drink in my mercy. If you're a believer going, how on earth do I have a right there? As another human, I say to you this. You don't have a right there. But on the authority of God's word, Jesus says there's no better place for you to be. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for your text. Thank you for all of the do's and don'ts that James is is pushing us in as a church. And God, just like last week as we thought about the tongue, this week reveal to us areas in which maybe we're blinded to our showing partiality and favoritism. May we walk as a church in the freedom that the gospel brings to grant mercy and the freedom the gospel brings to grant grace and the freedom that the gospel brings to walk equally with other brothers and sisters in Christ and then also equally with other humanity that walks among us and boasts in the riches of Christ to them as well. So as we come to the table, Lord, we come in an attitude of worship. May the gospel scream at us as we come unworthy to the worthiness of Christ.